What got you there with got you got you What got you there with Shonda Laney got you there with Shonda Laney What got you there with Shonda Laney got you there with Shonda Laney What got you there with Shonda Laney Seku Andrews is the world's leading poetic voice a presenter/performer who is disrupting the speaking industry in unprecedented ways He's a school teacher turned actor musician two-time National Poetry Slam champion entrepreneur and an award-winning poetic voice on any day, you may now find Seiku keynoting at a leadership conference, helping a Fortune 500 company with brand messaging, or even performing pieces for Barack Obama in Oprah's backyard. Seiku is the creator of Poetic Voice, a new cutting-edge speaking category that seamlessly fuses inspirational speaking with spoken word poetry to make messages more moving and memorable. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com forward slash what got you there. Audible has over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. I'm a huge fan of Audible and definitely recommend checking it out. If you're looking for a way to stay energized throughout the entire day, grab a bottle of Suniva Super Coffee. Suniva is something I drink on a daily basis. It's an organic bottled coffee blend with lactose-free protein and MCTs from coconut oil, which provides me with clean, all-day energy. Head to your local Whole Foods or use discount code WGYT at drinksupercoffee.com for 20% off your order. Suniva was founded by three college athletes who are brothers and wanted a cleaner way to stay energized throughout the entire day. Let's face it, we all want to look good in the clothes we wear, but I got tired of sifting through the racks looking for a quality pair of jeans that cost less than $300. Then I found Distilled. DSTLD, pronounced Distilled, offers premium denim and essentials at an affordable price. Their products cost just one-third of what other premium brands charge because Distilled refuses to work with middlemen, bringing savings directly to you. Just go to dstld.com right now and use the promo code JOURNEY10 in all caps at checkout to get 10% off your first purchase. Seiku, welcome to What Got You There. How are you doing today? What got you there? I'm doing great. <laughs> there we go. That I'm passion, that energy. No, it, That's it, right. Yep. That's right. I'm happy to be here with you, man. No, I appreciate the time. So before we jump into your story, everything you're currently doing, how do you start your day? How do I start my day? Um, I usually wake up. That's always a good start. It's always a and good from start. There, <laughs> it's always a good start. From there, uh, you know, it's all bets are off, really. It depends on the day of the week. There's an epic battle going on. I'm not sure if you're aware of it. It's it's a little bit sort of, it's it's in the, the, the annals of history and mythology at this point. Uh, it's known as Seku versus Monday. <laughs> and uh, the scorecard is... Still pretty even, but Monday is usually edges forward. So if it's a Monday, it's all bets are off because I don't know what's going to happen. But outside of that, um, usually if I'm starting my day, there is uh, I try to make sure that my phone is not the first thing that I reach for. Um, you know, I try to do a little bit of digital purging and make sure I'm starting with a bit more intention. Um, depending on how, how much rest I've had, if, you know, if I'm crowbarring myself out of bed, then there's a lot of sitting by the edge of the bed, just getting myself awake. And usually what wakes me up is the hustle. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure entrepreneurs can, re can relate to that. Like, you know, when you run your own business, a lot of times you don't even need an alarm clock and, and it's the hustle that, that wakes you up and it's like, you better get going with your purpose and your passion in life. So, uh, usually I'm trying to activate that if I've had too little sleep, otherwise that usually activates me. Then I hop up. I I drink uh, uh I drink some water. Make sure I hydrate myself full. You know, twenty thirty gla ounce glass of water or something. Get my get my fluids going. Um, do any of my supplements, my wellness routine. Um, and then from there, uh, and I also might do a bulletproof coffee to to get me up <laughs> as well. <laughs> Gotta um, get the brain going there, right? That's right. That's right. Get my brain. Uh, get my brain active. And then from there, it kind of depends on what's on my schedule. If it's just a day where I'm in control of my day, then I start to kind of sit down, set my intentions, you know, work on what it is that I'm that I'm that I'm, you know, de deciding to do for that day, whatever is on my task list. Um, I don't jump right into it. Usually there's some sort of a, a workout routine that happens as well. Once you get your brain going, you got to get your body going. So usually I'll either go hit the gym, you know, maybe do some at least some stretching. Uh, if I'm writing, sometimes I'll go do some treadmill writing, you know. Grab the grab the phone and dictation app and 
and uh, let the juices and, the, and the, the inspiration get flowing while I'm while I'm on the treadmill. Oh, so, so you're of, talking it out while you're walking or while you're oh, running? Oh, yeah, definitely. Like I'll do, you know, what I might do. I've discovered, you know, the brain is funny. Like m- movement is really activating for creativity. So I remember asking my dad a long time ago, like, why is it back, back when I was a, 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 an aspiring MC? I'm like, why is it that I can freestyle rap so well when I'm driving? You know, and he was like, <laughs> man, because the brain is firing away when you're driving. It seems like you're sitting there being still, sitting there being still, but you know, you're constantly looking, checking mirrors, checking rear views, like assessing the road, like your synapses are just completely firing and that's activating your creative, uh, your creative areas of your brain as well. So I find that movement does the same thing. So depending on what stage that I'm in in my writing, if I'm in that sort of, you know, just coming up with ideas and, and, and talking it out, I'll hop on the treadmill, maybe do a quick run or a quick weight, you know, weight training workout for 15 minutes. And then I'll let the rest of the 45 minutes to an hour just be me walking on the treadmill, talking it out, sometimes paper in front of me, writing stuff down, you know, got to combine it. So the people who are probably unfamiliar with you, they've heard entrepreneur, own your own business, creative, MC, all of these different things. So who is Seku Andrews? (laughs) They're like, where are we? What is going on? Which world is in? My answer is all of them. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) Um, So... So yeah, the the part of the reason why you're hearing so much, um, so many sort of you know sometimes disparate uh, businesses and and modalities and so forth is because uh, I'm a I'm a poetic voice, and a poetic voice is a new type of speaker and artist that combines inspirational speaking and spoken word poetry together seamlessly to create sort of a a, a performed a keynote experience, and um, this is a this is a category of speaking that I created. And and it really walks the line between art and business. It walks the line between spoken word and public speaking. It walks the line between you know entertainment and business content, value and education. And so that's why a lot of the things that I'm doing, um, you'll hear in in the way that I talk about anything related to me or my business. You'll hear me straddle that line. You know, between oh the, the the artist life and the things that I'm doing for myself as an artist and the things that I'm doing for myself as an entrepreneur CEO, because that's exactly what how my business was built and that's exactly what I hit the stage and talk about. I mean, it's such a beautiful art form. I remember the first time I ever heard you speak. It was, I felt like I was at, uh, oh my gosh, it was like a stand up routine, and then you were hitting me with business advice, and I didn't know where all of it stopped and where it all just seemed together. It was so peaceful, so beautiful. You want to do a piece. For the listeners right now, just so they get a better idea of what poetic voice really is. Uh, sure. Yeah. Let's see. I'll um, you know, so much of my work. If you if you're familiar with the spoken word poetry scene at all, then you're familiar with a lot of two and three and you know four maybe five minute poems. And um, these days, as a poetic voice, it's more like you know twenty and thirty and sixty minute keynotes. Uh, and so. The, the concept of a piece is always a little bit <laughs> tricky for me to figure out, but I think what I'll do is I'll I'll just do a, uh, a short excerpt from one of my uh, poetic speeches, my keynotes, and I think that the one I'm feeling is self-made success. Um, I've done this speech a variety of times, but the first time I presented it, it was for uh, 5,000 small business owners um, for the Intuit's QuickBooks conference. So, which is why you may hear like accounting references and things like that. No, that'd be perfect for this audience. Yeah, exactly. I figured that was the one that was kind of speaking to me as you, as you talked about what, you know, what got you here is, and then what got you there. It doesn't, it doesn't, um, it, it, it's, it's heavily focused on growth and that concept of, you know, what it means to be a self made success and if that's even possible. So this one's really, it's a it's a big keynote version shout out uh, to to all the people that contribute to that. Uh, so let's see. I'll jump in here. I don't even know where I'm gonna where I'm gonna start. Um, let's do. I'll just go at the beginning. I am a small business owner slash changer of printer toner. I am a chief executive officer slash backup dishwasher. 
I am a company president slash head of business development slash filer of expense receipt evidence slash designer of marketing elements who fills me. I am the staff administrator. I am the chief of staff. I am all of the rest of the staff who fills me. I am the board chair, the board table, and the board desk. I am the executive director slash IP protector slash past due invoice collector slash employee lie detector. Who fills me? My nickname is Captain Pick a Letter because I'm the CEO, the CFO, the COO, the CUO, the C, insert any letter here because I probably do that too. Oh, you best believe I payroll the cost to be the boss. Don't know the meaning of hands off. If it was built under my watch, it is covered in my fingerprints. I got titles, son. I got titles my business card ain't even heard of yet. It doesn't have enough space left to accurately reflect the jobs I do myself to make sure they're done correct because my my name is Seku Andrews, and I am a self-made success. Self-made like the DIY desk you bought from Ikea. Self-made like your kids' Halloween costumes when you're broke. Self-made like hiring others so I can delegate to someone else, then spending more time managing them than just doing it my damn self. I know somebody in here must feel me, so I'm sending a shout-out to all the control freaks you know, who need our control fix. All of us who stay in control, like Janet Jackson, 1986. Shout out to all the coaches out there, personal life and business coaches, trying to get us to let go of our need to control and of everything else that stunts our growth. My coach once gave me advice that changed my life. Everyone in your company should be doing the highest revenue generating activity that only they can do. And I was like, so I shouldn't be doing all this other stuff. Those words became the compass for my operational direction. Her voice, the North Star, on my journey toward infrastructure. She helped me clarify my intentions, made me insist on specificity, taught me how to hire with integrity and fire with dignity. She helps me better where I am and tether it to where I can be by challenging like a mentor while caring like family and guiding me to solutions I wouldn't have otherwise found. She's always around and down to help, but always makes me do the work myself, which I do because I am a self-made success. Self-made like the slow jam mixtape you gave your girl in ninth grade. You know that one. Self-made like PB&J, baby. Self-made like in the office at midnight on a Saturday while the world outside my window celebrates some popular ritual called a, a weekend. Maybe you've heard of it. Apparently, it's all the rave. Uh, shout out to all my business owners who can't keep up with all these holidays. I got Thanksgiving and New Year's, of course, but don't come talking to me about some Columbus Day, please. And when is it not Labor Day? And I only know President's Day by its maiden name, Monday, which is the day I do all my banking and billing. So shout out to all my accounting professionals in the building. And I'll stop there. Woo! Seiko, <laughs> man. What were those 5,000 Intuit uh, employees doing once they heard this? Oh, it was crazy. What's funny is that, I mean, um, this is the first year that Intuit has kind of got new leadership and new management and kind of, you know, they always go through that shift in direction, doing some some uh, fresh stuff. But but for the past uh, four years, three years, past three years, um, since, the, since the inception of the QuickBooks conference, I've been the only uh, speaker that they brought back every year. And, um, and we're talking about, you know, the other speakers are Oprah Winfrey and Maggie Johnson and Ariana Huffington and so forth. And they brought me back every year because there's just almost been this this amazing kind of I mean, small business owners. That's my tribe, you know, and, and they really expected they were like, we got small business owners. We got accountants and our accounting professionals and we've got uh, uh, developers, web developers and app developers. We expect you to be a big hit with the small business owners. Turns out the accountants. Love some Seiko. <laughs> <laughs> they were like, we can't believe that these accountants go crazy for you. And they like, they're tweet uh, tweeting and posting and shouting. And they're like, we gotta have Seiko back every year. So it's been it's been a really amazing relationship. I'm sad to kind of see it transition and we'll see. I might, I might join them for some of their um their global work now that they're doing QuickBooks uh Australia and London and so forth. But it's been it's just my tribe and it's been a really, really powerful um, connection with them where, where folks are teary, teary eyed in the hallway afterwards. Like, 
I, you know, I, this business is so hard. Like it's so hard being an entrepreneur and I can't, I fe- felt like I was on my way out. I kind of came here as one last stab and you totally inspired me to keep pushing and gave me some tools on how I can be successful and just hugs and tears. And that's amazing for me because I, I'm their tribe. I understand. So it's powerful, you know? Yeah. I mean, I had goosebumps hearing that. And and you speak to speaking to that tribe and, and understanding what it's like to be that entrepreneur. Do all your talks center around real life experiences or do you pull from other places? Um, no. I, well, uh, yes and no. So um, my business was built heavily on customizing talks for organizations. Um, so unlike the typical speaker who's like the social media person, you know, and she's out there and companies are hiring her just to come come in no matter what the company is. She's kind of talking about the same thing each time. Uh, for me, it's it's less about what does he talk about and it's more what is what do you want to say? And the customized aspect of my work is I will help you to say what you want to say better than you could ever say it. Um, and I will turn, I will make your message into an anthem and, and electrify it and using the power of art, make it sticky and moving and memorable um, in ways that pros just can't. And so pros being P-R-O-S-E, not professionals. <laughs> oh, I don't want people being like, oh, really? So you're better than every professional out there now? <laughs> um, so uh, so for me, it's like, I'm, you know, I'm diabetes on Monday and cloud computing on Tuesday and shoes on Wednesday and, you know, tech on Thursday and healthcare on Friday, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, and, and, and it's not like I'm going in talking about the same thing to all those different industries, but I'm helping them to communicate their messaging a lot of times in those industries. So I have to, there's a heavy learning component in what I do. Um, you know, like if I look at the, the, uh, three of the projects that I'm working on right now, it's, um, you know, in digital industrial revolution, um, uh, epilepsy, healthcare, uh, and uh, what's the other one that I'm working on? Oh, um, uh, insurance brokerage, right? So three incredibly diverse, you know, very complicated industries, um, completely different audiences, and I'm writing simultaneously on all of that. Uh, so there's a lot of sort of really becoming an expert in a lot of fields. And even more than that, in order to truly represent the community authentically, which I, I pride myself on authenticity, even more than inspiration, because I feel like an inspirational speaker, you should be inspirational. So that shouldn't be, that's not the highest bar you can reach to if you claim an inspirational speaker. For me, I pride myself on authenticity. When I speak to cardiologists and they walk, they walk away from the speech and come up to me and go, so wait. You're not a cardiologist? You know, that's when I'm going, cool, popping my collar. I did my job. I blurred the line enough between, the, you know, the divisions and the silos between us so that they could find themselves in me. I could find myself in them. And, and people listen differently when they feel like you are one of their community. Um, and so that's really, you know, the challenge that I have is is not only just pushing myself to learn the industry, but but really almost make myself fall in love with their industry for a moment. Um, so that I can really write them authentically with passion and um, and they feel it and receive it deeply and I'm, and I'm that much more impactful. Yeah, that's why I had to ask the question about experience just because your versatility is pretty incredible. And the beginning of the call, you talked about kind of doing some some talking on the treadmill and that's how you would start your speeches. What actually goes into writing one of these speeches? You kind of want to walk us through the process? Um, so it's it's interesting. There's there's a lot that this, that's the same. And then, you know, I, I guess that's on the business side. And then true to the artistic side, there's, uh, it changes a lot. The process can be very different. Um, it usually begins with some sort of a download from the client where, you know, I just had actually had um, two client calls this morning getting, you know, what I call my creative calls where I'm hopping on and and learning their story, you know, what are their challenges, what are their aspirations, what are their hopes and dreams and frustrations, and what's the history of the business, who the audience is, what are the intentions, et cetera, et cetera. I'm downloading all of that information. Uh, they send me a bunch of information. I gather that as well um, and do a lot of processing on my own for, you know, a few weeks, depending on how long I have to to create it. And um, and then, then I sort of move from that 
data, you know, based linear process to the creative process where I'm really just now kind of letting my muses have their way with me, if you will. And I am searching for what I call the, the unique approach um, or the USP, you know, the unique story proposition for me. And it's basically how is it that I'm going to approach this data in a way that feels very unique and refreshing and exciting for them? Because you imagine like when you're telling someone their story, they've kind of heard it before. They lived it, you know. So how do I tell you your story in a way that's super exciting for you and creates suspense and you don't know what's going to happen? And, you know, you feel just as engaged as if it was someone else's story. And that's challenging. Not every creative approach works as the how as the house uh, or the vehicle for all of that data. So that's what I'm looking for. What's the best concept that can house and deliver that data in, an, in a moving, memorable, and delightful way? And then once I find that, then then it begins to sort of start writing itself. And you know, I get excited and I'm in that. I, get, I start hitting that flow state. Before then, I'm just, it's agonizing. Like I'm just looking at a whirlwind of information swirling around me and I'm trying to reach up in the sky and it's like grabbing flies and you know, you finally catch one and then it turns out it's the wrong one. And you got to throw it back into the sky. So once I actually land on that, then the creative juices really start flowing. I get excited. It's, it starts flowing out of me. Um, I may be back and forth in communication with client a bit um, about, you know, different questions I have or questions they have, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then it, the nature of poetic voice is that it is very much a hybrid of those two worlds that I mentioned. And so I always feel like good spoken word, um, good oration in general, good speak, public speaking in general, it should live strong on the page and come to life on the stage. Hmm. Live strong on the page and come to life on the stage. And so the poet in me insists on having work that is readable, you know, that doesn't just feel like somebody was just rambling on, but it was passion, passionate, you know, but when you read it, it falls apart. No, I want, you know, I, I'm, ma I'm maintaining and uh, adhering to uh, to structure and technique and, you know, paying attention to cadence and couplets and rhyme and all those things, all those poetic devices. Um and then comes the sort of rehearsal process. And that process, you know, it might be, who knows, depends on, on the situation. But sometimes it's like, <laughs> sometimes it's, it's a week, you know, where I get a chance to really sit and, and focus on the piece and work on it. These days, demand is, is high enough to where I don't really get that week too often. And sometimes it's more like five minutes before I go on, <laughs> you know. Um, but luckily I'm the one that created it. So there's, there's sort of an inherent rehearsal process that happens during the writing of it. And you know, the material and you've worked through the, the, the energies and the rhythms and so forth. So, you know, then it's a matter of stepping out on stage and, and living in the moment and allowing, you know, not throwing it away, but allowing what comes out on stage to be greater than what hit the page. And that's when the performer in me comes out. So that's, that's pr pretty much the process. I mean, you speak to the performer in yourself, and, and we've got to rewind here. I need to know about your childhood. How do you end up into this field, end up doing this? How does this happen? <laughs> uh, so I always say that that I'm like the apple leaned up right, at, right against the tree, pressed up against the tree. <laughs> because if you think about it, my, my, my business is a, is a hybrid of art education and entrepreneurship and both of my parents were artists my mom um dancer choreographer my father painter sculptor both of my parents were um educators mom's college professor taught at howard university and clark atlanta and multiple other colleges dad um, college professor, you know, professor of kinesiology up at uh, Cal State East Bay. And um, both of my parents were entrepreneurs. Mom started the first African-American um, dance company in, in Berkeley and taught Lamaze classes and, you know, multiple other businesses. Um, now she's a, a kinesiotherapist who does, who certifies yoga, yoga trainers, yoga, certifies people to go out and, and train yoga. And she's 74 years old herself. <laughs> this is crazy. <laughs> Um, and, uh, my dad was, uh, you know, my dad had multiple businesses as well. He did everything from selling Amway to, um, to opening the first, uh, museum in Oakland, California dedicated to athletes. 
Um, so, I, you know, I have that in my blood. All of that was nurtured. And so a big part of who I am comes from the fact that, you know, it wasn't just art. It wasn't just, hey, you know, yeah, go go do plays and go make raps. And yes, son, go be creative. You know, it was it was, you know, get your butt upstairs and do your homework. And, you know, hell yeah, you're going to college. And, you know, and when you go to college, you can come out and, and you don't have to get a job. You can, you know, be an entrepreneur. You can cr- craft your own path. And, you know, when I was in high school, it was like I went to a uh a high school of the arts in DC for the first year, Duke Ellington, shout out to Duke Ellington high school. Um, but I only went there for freshman year because at the time DC public schools ranked 50th in the nation. So, uh, my I did one year and my mom was like, Oh hell no. Um, we're going to pull you to this school. We're going to get you in this college prep school and go plays there. How about that? <laughs> And so, you know, I ended up, I ended up graduating from Georgetown today. Shout out to all the GDSs out there. And, um, you know, it was very much a, a hybrid of all of those, a balance between all of those, uh, all of those ways of being and, and ways of thinking. And so that's really a big part of how it is that I, that I came to, to be what I am now. But the, but the timeline of it really was, I was chasing hip hop. I was chasing, I was chasing, um, um, acting, fell in love with theater. I fell in love with with music at the same time, began pursuing them heavily through middle school, high school, and college, graduated from college, and had started to have more opportunities in music than I did in acting, so I started chasing record deals heavily, um, got tired of record labels telling me that they loved my words, you know, they listened to my demo like every day on the way to work at the at their record label job, but that it wasn't, you know, the formula, the hip hop, shoot them up, blang, blang, hose this and bling that, um, formula that that was making so much money in hip hop that they you know they couldn't sell it next sell, sell it to their boss. What was your performing name? Huh? What was your performing name? <laughs> now you really want to get into it, huh? Okay, <laughs> okay. Just gonna show you know, it's gonna maybe peel back all the layers. That's cool. That's cool. Let's get real. Um, so my last performance name before I took on my my full name of Seiko Andrews was Seiko the Misfit. Ooh, I like that. Parentheses T H A because you know you got to have the hip hop spelling can't be regular uh, <laughs> misfit in parentheses so that that's what I had for several years like the past past like fifteen years you know it's crazy but uh, if I'm if I'm really taking you into my history my previous name before that was uh, Destiny and I was part of no no yeah I was Destiny but then before that I was uh, Shakespeare. <laughs> <laughs> Tying back to the poetry at a young age there. Because when I was young, you know, it was, it was to me, it was a brilliant. It was like, I'm Shakespeare, you know, because my raps are my poems. Get it? My raps are my poems, you know. <laughs> who, knew, who knew that later I'd, I'd end up turning rap into a career in poetry. Um, so there's, you know, the irony of life. And I was part of a group called 3D, the Devastating Doctors of Delight. No. <laughs> Come on, son. <laughs> Tell me we wouldn't fly. We knew we was making it. <laughs> so anyway, yeah. So that I, after get after getting tired of chasing hip hop and sort of hearing that same story, I started going to. I decided to make a career for myself and release my own records on my own record label. Started going to poetry open mics to build a fan base for my music, and then messed up and accidentally fell in love with spoken word poetry. And it was like, well, what the hell am I going to do with this? And but part of me started, the entrepreneur in me started getting excited, more excited about, about forging um, and kind of pioneering a path in poetry than just being tossed into the sea of headshots and demos out there, all competing for the same crumbs. And so I kind of just was like, I think I might actually do this poetry thing and, and you know, try that full time. So after about four years of uh, being a, a uh, fifth grade teacher, after thinking I was going to be a lawyer and work in a law firm for a while, then I went into teaching and then I finally decided, all right, I think I'm ready to quit my job and uh, try poetry full time and wing in a prayer, see if it works. And if it doesn't go back to teaching. And luckily that was 15 years ago. So luckily it's worked. Today, what got you there is being fueled by Soniva Super Coffee. Soniva provides an organic bottled coffee blended with lactose free protein and MCTs from coconut oil for all day energy. Grab a bottle at your local Whole Foods market or use discount code WGYT at drinksupercoffee.com for 20% off your order. Are you looking to finish the latest thriller, such as The Girl on the Train, while you're at the gym or in the car? 
Well, now you can. For listeners of What Got You There podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check this out. Head over to www.audibletrial.com forward slash what got you there to choose from over 180,000 titles to select the book you want to hear next. Distilled utilizes the same fabrics, factories, and wash houses as the best-known brands and designers while skipping the markups and middlemen. The result? Top-quality denim without the retail runaround. Just go to dstld.com and see where minimalist design meets maximum comfort. They have a 100% fit guarantee, offering free shipping and returns until you find the perfect pair. Inspired by the creative class, Distilled is the perfect brand for those who have other things to think about besides getting dressed. You'll look good no matter what with Distilled. Distilled has been featured in Forbes, Time, and TechCrunch, as well as on denim-clad celebrities in GQ and Men's Health. You can find the brand's amazing selection of outwear, leather jackets, t-shirts, and more using the same principles of high-grade materials at low-end cost. Distilled is your answer to elevated style without elevated prices. Just go to dstld.com right now and use the promo code JOURNEY10 in all caps at checkout to get 10% off your first purchase. I mean, you mentioned the open mic, and I have to imagine you had some insane failures during that time. And one of the reoccurring themes we see across the successful people we've had on the show is their confidence. You want to talk about confidence and some of the failures you had, how you overcome that and set yourself up for success? I I don't really feel confident in talking about confidence. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Let's see. Confidence. Yeah, man. I mean, you got to – I remember being in the studio once recording some albums and – and we were talking about Lauren Hill and just how amazing it was. I mean, every time a Lauren Hill or a, or a Fuji's or a Outcast or the Roots or you know anybody like that like blew up and and went platinum or something, like I always felt like it was my time. The world was finally ready for my style of of hip hop. Um, and we were talking about you know what it takes for a Lauren Hill to be so successful, as different as she was. And I remember the guy was like, you know, the producer was like, it takes somebody that's willing to have countless doors slammed in their face mm. and keep going to the next door for her. Like somebody that believes in her that much. Cause most people are going to be like, Oh, this is not the formula. It's so different. It's, it's not going to make it, you know, it's going to be all those stories that we hear. Um, and somebody has got to believe in that person and, and also see the true talent. Cause we all know what believing in ourselves means when we haven't ever done a talent assessment to know, are we really supposed to do that? You only got to watch the first episode of American Idol to know there's a whole lot of people that believe in themselves a little bit too much um, and sound horrible and can't actually sing. <laughs> so, you know, so I think you have to, you do have to balance that with being realistic, but I think as an entrepreneur, it's not even so much that we need that person in our corner as much as we need to be that person in our corner. You know, we need to be the person that can deal with the door is being slammed in our face and we still go to the next door. And that takes an incredible amount of confidence. It takes an incredible amount of believing in ourselves. And I think what anchors that more than anything is purpose and passion, you know, um, like truly being clear on what it is that you feel like you were put on this planet to do. Um, and, and because that's what, what, that's what gets you through the turbulence. There's this, this entrepreneurial life is a very, can be a very turbulent life, especially at the beginning. Um, and you, you have to be able to withstand that turbulence. And one of the things that gives you this, the, the stability to do that is being clear on your vision, being clear on your mission, being clear on what your purpose is and feeding your passion, making sure that you are actively doing things throughout your day, throughout your week, that are fueling your passion, that are exciting you about this business so that, you know, when you do get those doors slammed in your face, you're just laughing like, man, I cannot wait. I cannot wait to know how wrong you are. You know, it's like the guy that told the Beatles guitar music is dying and didn't sign them. You know what I mean? Like those are the stories that feed my passion. Like watch I'm about to be the Beatles up in here and you, and you're going to be kicking yourself about not signing me. Like, Finding those little things that feed that kind of passion, that kind of ambition, that kind of hustle, because you're going to need it. How much did your mom's individuality fuel your passion? Did you take a lot from her and and see what she was doing and the risks she was taking and and see the different failures she had and, and be able to go after and attack these entrepreneurial endeavors? 
So there's what we learned from our parents overtly, <laughs> and there's what we learn covertly. You know, <laughs> there's what we get through osmosis and experience, and and then there's what you know the lessons. The the day our dad sat us down and told us blank blank blank. You know, and a lot of the things that I got from my mom, I didn't. I didn't know I was getting, I wasn't paying attention to, I didn't realize that I was receiving them, you know, and you know, mom can be annoying sometimes, you know, she starts nagging you with this and bothering you with that and telling you and always trying. And my mom is a, is a, is a born innovator. Um, you know, she's a incredibly creative person. She's, she's cutting edge her whole life, you know, on the cutting edge of everything. She, I was, I was born to Berkeley revolutionaries, you know, in the Bay Area, people that were on the, on the cutting edge of every social justice component and and protests and and standing, you know, uh, individuality. My mom was bald-headed. My mom was bald-headed. Do you know how hard it is? How hard it is to be in fifth grade and trying to win a clowning battle when you got a bald-headed? Okay? Everybody can just go back to, no matter how good your jokes are, they can go back to, but that's why your mama bald-headed. <laughs> So, you know, this was not fun stuff for me when I was when I was growing up. You know, like I was like, can you just pick me up down the block, please? Um, and you know, it was she was daishiki wearing and having us da wearing daishikis and making sure we were proud of our African heritage and you know all this stuff that you have resistance to when you are are growing up because you just want to want to fit in, you want to be like everybody else, you want to blah blah blah. But now, in my adult years, oh. Sh- her and my dad are absolutely the reason for Seku the misfit, you know, mm. for Seku who was who ultimately embraced the concept of not fitting in, of not assimilating, of individuality, of being your own person. Um, but I didn't I didn't even realize that until I was already in it, until I'd already be until I had already become that person. And then I was looking to who I had to thank for that. And all all praise and gratitude goes to to my, my brilliant, creative, innovative, and still sometimes annoying mom. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's funny when we look back and the people who had different impact and influence on our lives. But uh, I know you're not only a great speaker, but a great teacher. So I need to get into the nitty gritty details on, on what you're doing prior to getting on stage. I want you to talk a little bit about your Stage Might speaker training course, what you teach people who come through this course. How can these listeners of this podcast get better at speaking on stage? So I never wanted to be a public uh, speaker. I never wanted to be an inspirational or motivational speaker. What what brought me to that business was realizing my sort of, you know, unique access point, unique perspective to that. What you what unique perspective that I could bring to people that I that I felt was missing in the market. Um, And that was through my work as a poetic voice. Same thing is true of public of speaker training. I, you know, there was a million public speaker training programs out there, so I just felt like that was not the first program that I wanted to start. But what I felt was missing was that uh, it's just what I call the eighty-five percent, right? It's like scientists say that that we use about ten to fifteen percent of our of our uh, brain power, and I feel that most public speakers or too many public speakers use about fifteen percent of their speaking power. And there's about 85% of power that's kind of lying dormant in us. And that's either been trained out of us or we haven't learned how to access. And what I realized is the way that I end up accessing that power that helps me to stand out is that I approach the stage like a performer, not like a speaker. My entire approach to speaking is through the lens of performing and not speaking. And what happens is a lot of public speakers, they might take a performance course they might learn a performance technique. You know, they go do an improv class or a stand-up class or something. They they grab a couple acting techniques to apply to their speaking to their speaking, and that's great. That helps to unlock sixteen, you know, seventeen, twenty percent um, of that. But but when you approach the stage with a performer's mindset, it's different. If you think about here's here's one way to illustrate it. Um, you think about going backstage, John, at a uh, let's say a, a, a dance concert if you were backstage before a dance concert began what would you expect to see backstage with the dancers probably stretching getting warmed up keeping yep. loose that's right stretching warming up their vehicle warming up their instrument making sure that they um you know are, are practicing the exact steps that they need to, the places they need to land the exact ways their body needs to move etc cetera, etc cetera. Uh, backstage at a, at a at a music concert, it's me 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 me. It's vocal techniques. It's them warming up their instruments. It's them preparing for 
um, sort of energetically, spiritually, emotionally, all of it, um, preparing to give maximum performance on stage. Backstage at a play, you know, it's it's setting their intention, it's getting in touch with their emotions, it's being able to access the totality of themselves. Backstage at a speaking event, it's you know, if they're even backstage, half the time they're they're sitting out in the in the house drinking ice water and hobnobbing with the client. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. And if they are backstage, then they might basically just be going over notes or going over their slides because they they believe that their greatest power lies in their content, what I have to say. We've all heard the phrase, it's not what you say, it's how you say it. And the performer knows that the how is just as important, if not more important. Um, the reason why people tell me they could they could listen to me read the phone book and it would be exciting is because I know that I can rock a phone book. The performer <laughs> knows I can kill a phone book <laughs> if I need to, you know what I mean? Um, and so that level of confidence comes from me having been trained as a performer. And I realized I, I have a successful speaking career and I was never trained as a speaker. I was trained as a performer. And it's the performance training that has unlocked all of the access that I have to, uh, or unlock the access that I have to all of the dynamic range that I, that I demonstrate on stage. So I'm the guy, I'm the speaker backstage, um, you know, doing stretches, warming up my body like a dancer, doing squats. People look at me like I'm crazy when I'm backstage doing squats. And like, what are you planning on doing? And, and my answer is, I don't know. I don't know what I'm planning on. I'm planning on doing whatever it is that I think will make me powerful on stage. And if I, if it turns out that in the middle of a great moment, my brain says, you know what would be cool? You should fall to the floor to demonstrate the failure in your business when you tell this story. If my body says, hold on, hold on, guys, hold on. My knees can't <laughs> handle that. <laughs> Great idea, but uh, you better not fall on this floor. You might not. We might not get you back up. Then I go, wow, that would have been a cool moment, but I have to let that go. Well, let that happen 50, 60 times in your brain during a presentation, and you wonder why you don't stand out. Because you trained yourself to plant your feet, point to the sky, look above the audience's head, and put yourself in a nice little safe box. I want to be anything but safe. Just like a performer that you watch transform on stage, a dancer that you watch just un like uh, unleash themselves on stage, an actor that suddenly is just pouring with emotion that was never a part of the rehearsal. Like I want to have that power when I'm talking about cloud computing at 8 a.m. at a tech conference. And because <laughs> I do, that's why the, one of my favorite comments that I hear back is, how the hell did you have me crying at 8 a.m. at a tech conference? That's why. Stage mic. Whew. I mean, that, that just even hearing that is powerful. So, I mean, you talk about the warm up and everything. How do you handle your nerves prior to getting on stage? Um, uh, there's a technique that I have in, in the uh, stage my the uh, online stage my course. I have a online course as well as doing um, you know one on one training with folks. And the uh, in in the first I think or second module of the course, there's a technique called giving your nerves a W-2 to make them work for you. And the concept behind it is that you don't want to get rid of nervousness, right? You want to harness nervousness. You want nervousness working for you. Nervousness can be a great thing because nervousness is the cousin of passion. It's the cousin of excitement and energy, you know? They all stem from the same place. Um, and, it, and it helps you to be present. So what happens is if you've ever seen a speaker who is just can just deliver a great speech, but you're just going, wow, just something about it felt too perfect, too flawless, like just almost robotic. He was disconnected. He was going through the motions. He had written a great speech, uh, you know, knew the slides well, but I, you know, it was great. It was entertaining. It was engaging, but it, it wasn't mesmerizing, you know? Um, and a lot of times that can be because the person themselves, you know, his or herself wasn't present. And so it's hard, harder for you to be present when you're watching someone that isn't present themselves. Nerves can keep you present. One of the things that I, that I teach, uh, a, a technique that you can try in your very next public speaking opportunity, you know, wh whether that's uh, a professional opportunity or it's a job interview or it's you just, you know, talking to your, your family or something. Um, one of the things I always try is or tell people to try is to do one thing in every presentation that is different. So force yourself, if you normally point to the sky in this presentation that you've done 20 times, you point to the sky on this line, instead 
you know, point to the ground or crouch down. If you typically, you know, stand still and put your hands on your hips, try walking over to the edge of stage right instead. Just do something that makes you have to remember, oh, oh, don't do that, do this. Because those little, so much of, so much of, of, of working a room is harnessing energy. And it's not just what you do with the words, but it's what you're doing with your energy that manipulates the audience's energy in the way that creates the crescendo that you want. And so doing those slight incremental cumulative energy shifts doing, during your presentation creates those slight incremental energy shifts in the audience that makes them lean in over and over again and stay engaged with you. So that's the beginner version. The advanced version is do one thing every speech that's scary. It's risky for you. Um, I, there's multiple stories that I have about times that I've done that. Um, and I, you know, I'm not sure what our time is. So I'm not going to go into a full story, but I'll just say there are plenty of times that I will do something that, again, my brain just says, oh, you should do this. Jump down, take, jump off the stage or hop up on a chair or you know, move the podium around or just something that I go, okay, this could go wrong. <laughs> you know what I mean? And yep. I, and I, the committee in my head is meeting and sort of doing a, a risk assessment. But, you know, I go, you know what? Even if it goes wrong, you have trained yourself like an improv artist. You've trained yourself like an actor. You've trained yourself like a performer. So you can turn any disaster into delight. Trust yourself. Be confident in your ability to recover from this. And let's go out and see what happens. And if that's not the entrepreneurial world, just like it's the speaking on stage world, I don't know what is. Some seriously actionable takeaways there, and we're definitely going to get the Stage Might speaker training course linked up in this. A few more quick hit questions before we end this one. I want to know, what's it like performing for Barack Obama in Oprah's backyard? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's just incredible. Um, you know, Barack was on the grill. <laughs> 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 you got me um, dying over here with that one. <laughs> we were like, but Rock, don't burn up the stakes again. He was like, shut up. I got this. Oh, it was it was amazing. It was surreal. Um my my creative partner, Steve Connell, and I, we do some amazing work together. And we had, you know, come off of a tour where at the very beginning of the tour, before it was even officially a tour. Steve and I had gone and done the party that Oprah Winfrey threw for Maya Angelou every five years. And uh, we were, we, a friend of ours and, and mentor and incredible leaders um, is Norman Lear, TV filmmaker, you know, legendary producer Norman Lear. And he brought Steve and I as his gift of poetry to Maya Angelou. You can imagine the pressure of that. <laughs> and... We, uh, luckily we rocked it. She was, you know, nobody knew we were performing. So we were a complete surprise. Luckily we were a hit, we rocked it. And so then fast forward another, I don't know, two years or something, a uh, year and a half. And it was a kind of a surreal experience where <laughs> we were, uh, we were, we, we got a call from a production company that was basically saying, Hey, we're putting an Oprah's throwing a big party for, um, for Barack Obama. And, we're putting together talent and we're going to present the talent to her on Monday. This was on a Friday that this call was happening. He said, we're going to present the talent to her on Monday and let her pick, but she has already requested you all. So, you know, she, her worries were specifically, I want my poet. So <laughs> you guys are pretty much in there. Um, and so, but just hang on, you know, through the weekend and then we'll confirm everything on, on Monday. So we were like, great, excited, awesome, beautiful. Over that weekend, we get a call from Quincy Jones. <laughs> Quincy Jones, who had also become a, a, a good friend and, and, you know, again, just an incredible mentor and leader. Quincy calls and says, hey, I'm throwing a party for Hillary. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I want you all to, uh, to rock my party for Hillary. And suddenly we're like, oh, crap. Like, it felt like we were like celebrities that had to kind of decide, had, had to announce who we were coming out for or something, you know? And so... Um, and as a team, we were undecided. Like, you know, I was for one person, Steve was for someone else, our manager was, was for someone else, et cetera, et cetera. So we weren't cohesive as a team yet. And so basically we, um, we ultimately 
because Oprah had asked us first and we wanted to honor, you know, that commitment. And we, we also wanted to make sure we kept building that relationship with Oprah. We, we had a relationship with Quincy and there were other times situations where we were able to um, deliver for him. So we ended up kind of basically look at it like we chose Oprah over Quincy. So help us (laughs) politically make sense of it. Uh, But once we got there, it was, uh, it was, it was amazing. Um, And he's, you know, we were just like, he's incredibly poised and, and uh, elegant and inspiring. And what was the culminating moment for us was after we finished our speech, he hopped on stage and he, during his speech, he kept going, and like Steve and Sekou said, we need to source out. We were like, oh my God, it doesn't need to be bananas. Wow, well, I do not think we are going to top President Obama here, so I think this is a perfect place to wrap up. But where can our listeners stay connected with you? Um, reach out, join my tribe, sekouandrews.com, S like Sam, E-K-O-U, andrews.com. Um, come join my, come join my tribe. I, you can, you can select which group you want to, want to join. If you want to know more about me off stage and like these kinds of personal moments, you can join that group. If you want to just get inspired, you know, there's a, there's a checkbox for that. And if you want to learn from me and actually grow from me, then you can, um, select that group as well. And you'll get tips on entrepreneurship and speaker training and, and, and dynamic storytelling, et cetera, et cetera. So make sure you hit me up at SekouAndrews.com. If you want to join my next uh, free training for speaker training, um, then then hit up RockstarSpeakerSecrets.com, RockstarSpeakerSecrets.com, and um, and we'll let you know when I'm doing my next um, launch and, and free webinar training. And then holler at me on social media, Facebook, Instagram, you know, Twitter. I'm on, I'm on all of them. It's either Seku World or it's Seku Andrews. Perfect. Well, we will get all of that linked up. I know the listeners will be fired up to stay connected with you. But Seku, man, this was a blast. I cannot thank you enough and looking forward to staying connected with you moving forward. Thank you, Sean. I appreciate it, man. This is, I appreciate you inviting me to your to your tribe. What got you there with Shonda Laney? Uh, what got you there with Shonda Laney? What got you there with Shonda Laney? Uh, what got you there with got you, got you? Thanks for listening to another episode of What Got You There. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a review on iTunes and also share with your friends. Thanks so much. Looking forward to talking with you next time. If you want to stay up to date on all things I'm working on behind the scenes and everything we've got going on at What Got You There, head over to whatgotyouthere.com. You'll also be able to see more on podcast guests and what they're doing. Thanks to Justin Great for providing us the intro and outro song. If you like his music and want to find out more about what he's working on, head over to justingreat.com.